Well, miracles don't just happen. Miracles are made. And here at UCSD's Thornton Hospital, if we didn't have the team of doctors and nurses and everybody who wanted to really take on a cutting edge, really risky new therapy, we would be sitting here and I would be holding an urn of my husband's ashes instead of holding his hand. I'm Heather Bushman for N Equals One, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. And I'm Scott Lafee. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. Today on N Equals One, we have a truly N Equals One story for you, in which a new therapy was designed and tested for an N, that's the sample number in an experiment, of just one patient. Truly personalized medicine. This is the story of a man named Tom and his near-death experience with a multi-drug resistant bacterial infection, a very dedicated medical team and wife that's her you heard at the beginning, and a last-ditch attempt at saving Tom's life using a completely experimental therapy derived from sewage. Okay, Scott, where do we start this story? Let's start in Egypt. Okay, go. What happened there? Okay, well, we start with Tom, the patient at the center of the story, who was vacationing with his wife, Stephanie. Uh, this was around Thanksgiving 2015. Who are Tom and Stephanie? Well, they're both professors here at UC San Diego School of Medicine. Tom's a professor of psychiatry, and Stephanie is the chief of the Division of Global Public Health in the Department of Medicine. And what you're going to hear next is being told by Chip Schooley. He's the uh, professor of medicine and he's the head of the Division of Infectious Diseases at UC San Diego Health. Uh, and as the story progresses, uh, he's not just a friend of Tom and Stephanie, but he'll turn out to be Tom's doctor. Well, Tom was initially uh, vacationing with his wife uh, in Egypt and they were having a great time. They'd uh, seen the pyramids and they were on a boat uh, headed up to Luxor and as the boat was pulling into Luxor Stephanie texted me and said that Tom had uh, developed abdominal pain and was unable to eat. She was worried that he developed food poisoning. She then texted me back and said uh, the pain is going through to his back, could this be pancreatitis? What should I do? And I said you need to get him to a hospital because he's an uh, older guy who has a pacemaker in place, a little bit of diabetes and uh, the last thing you need is pancreatitis in the middle of Egypt. So they took him to a hospital in Luxor, uh, which was able to stabilize him. They confirmed the diagnosis of pancreatitis, gave him some antibiotics, gave him some fluids, and Stephanie contacted uh, the UCSD uh, Health Plan Evacuation Services and managed to get him evacuated initially to Frankfurt. Uh, when he got to Frankfurt, the university hospital there, he was taken care of by some colleagues of mine who did a great job with him. Uh, they very quickly realized that he didn't just have pancreatitis, he had a large pancreatic pseudocyst, a, collection of fluid behind his pancreas. Uh, they uh, felt it was important to drain this pseudocyst because he was quite ill. So they put a drain uh, through the wall of his stomach into this pseudocyst, which was abutting the stomach, and uh, got fluid which grew acinetobacter. Wait, so it ended up that Tom didn't just have pancreatitis. What grew out of this cyst? 
Well, what they found was a type of bacteria called Acinetobacter, or something thereof. Uh, it's, it's, it's not an uncommon bacterium. Uh, it's been known for a long time, but for most of the, its history, or known history, it was deemed harmless. People didn't really get sick from it. Uh, but in the last 10 to 15 years, it's been linked to more infections, uh, and even more worrisome, it's become resistant to virtually every drug or antibiotic used to treat it. Now you see it a lot in U.S. hospitals and intensive care units, and more particularly, you see it with a lot of uh, soldiers coming home with infections from the Middle East uh, that are difficult to treat, and so it's, it's been dubbed by some Iraqi bacteria. So let's let Chip Schooley take up the story again, and here he is talking about Tom. They discovered pretty quickly that it was not just an Acinetobacter, it was an Acinetobacter with a lot of drug resistance, and they were quite concerned because they'd had several outbreaks of multi-drug resistant Acinetobacter in their hospital, and felt that um, it would be very good to get him uh, out of the hospital uh, there and back here. So after a little over a week in Germany, uh, Stephanie was able to work with people here to get him flown to UCSD, and uh, he was uh, hospitalized here at UC San Diego just before Christmas. In, in January and, and February of this year, we saw Tom slipping away. Every day I saw him get weaker and weaker. I could put my knuckle in the eye socket behind you know, his head and it was breaking my heart. Uh, by the middle of March, he was in the intensive care unit. He had been intubated because he could no longer uh, breathe for himself. Uh, he had renal failure and was about to be started on dialysis. Uh, and he was uh, on multiple pressors, uh, medications to keep his blood pressure up. And many of us thought he was um, not going to make it, given the direction things had gone, despite our best efforts with all the antibiotics we could and with all of the drainage procedures that we could bring to the, to the bedside. Well, the whole experience for me was really surreal. I would have nightmares um, and I would, and I remember thinking, wow, you know, you have these nightmares often and you wake up and you think, Phew, am I ever relieved that that isn't true, you know? And I, I would have nightmares and realize, oh my God, this is my life. Like I'm, I'm in this, I can't believe that this is happening to me and, and Tom. And um, it just kept getting worse and worse. And, um, I was on the phone on a conference call one day and um, trying to do a little bit of work when, you know, he was still very sick and um, I hung up and as I was getting ready to hang up, I could hear some of my colleagues on the phone say, um, has anyone told Stephanie that her husband is going to die? And I knew that they didn't know that I was still on the phone and I hung up the phone and I sat there with the receiver in my hand and I thought no nobody has and I guess we're at this point where I have to face the reality that you know we may lose him and um, so I asked Tom you know in a conversation do you want to give up do you, you've been fighting so hard you're so tired or do you want to fight because all of the avenues to save you with conventional antibiotic therapy are exhausted and we would need alternative therapy. So do you, do you want to fight? If you want to fight, you know, squeeze my hand. But he finally squeezed my hand and I knew that he wanted to fight and so I said, well, I will leave no stone unturned. 
Okay, so Tom's back here at UC San Diego Health at least, but his infection isn't responding to even the last line antibiotics, their last attempt. He's essentially dying. What happened next? Well, Stephanie, who happens to be an infectious disease epidemiologist, started looking for alternative therapies for multi-drug resistant bacterial infections. Around that time, a colleague of ours who's at UCSF said that a friend of hers had been treated with phage therapy and flew to Tbilisi, Georgia, where she had this miraculous cure. And I thought, wow, that sounds kind of far out. But wait, I remember learning about phages when I was an undergrad at the University of Toronto. Wait, Stephanie had a friend of a friend who was treated with what? And is that the Republic of Georgia, like Eastern Europe? That's right, yeah. Eastern Europe was, uh, had always been a hotbed for phage therapy, and that's what we're talking about here. Phage is short for bacteriophage, which is Greek for bacteria eater, which is exactly what these phages or viruses do. These are viruses that specifically infect and kill bacteria, and they're everywhere, in our bodies, in the environment, in sewage, and there are thousands of types, each of which only infects one specific type or maybe a few types of bacteria. So I thought, wow, and I looked it up and I saw that it wasn't licensed and it certainly wasn't FDA approved and uh, yet there were some papers saying that this was a promising area for the future. So I wrote Chip Schooley an email and I said, what do you think about phage therapy? And he said, what an interesting and intriguing idea. If you can help identify some phages that are going to be reactive against his isolate, I'm going to give it a whirl. Wow, is this an, a new thing? This concept of unleashing phages in the body to fight bacteria? No, it's almost 100 years old and it's been explored a lot, particularly in the early 1900s, but it fell out of favor when antibiotics were developed in the mid-1940s and considered the wonder drugs. Uh, the only place where phage therapy continued to be investigated were in Russia and Poland and even the Republic of Georgia where Stephanie's friend went. Uh, these are places that historically didn't have great access to antibiotics. So there's been renewed interest in phages because antibiotics, as everybody knows, have become less effective uh, as bacteria have developed resistance to even the most recent iterations of, of these medicines. So people have turned, you know, gone back to the future and they're, they're looking at phages as perhaps a new solution. And here's where Stephanie picks up the story again. And so we set on a phage hunt and took just a couple weeks, but an international effort of researchers and people at the Navy Medical Research Unit came together to make this happen, but we couldn't have done it without the UCSD team. In the meantime, as the person who was going to be administering the phages, I needed to get in touch with the Food and Drug Administration to talk to them about our interest in doing this. And we got into touch with a very good scientist at the FDA who was very enthusiastic about proceeding given uh, where Tom was with his illness and she introduced me to some people at the uh, Biomedical Defense Command, uh, the Army and the Navy in Washington who were also working on bacteriophage therapy 
in their case, because of interest in dealing with difficult infections coming back with our troops. I contacted them and the people at the Navy said, you know, we think this is an important thing to do, we'd be glad to give it a try. And they also began to develop a Fosh cocktail for uh, Tom's Acinetobacter. So with these two groups working in parallel, uh, we then turned to the institutions involved, UC San Diego, Texas A&M, uh, and the Navy to try to deal with the bureaucracy, uh, and they very quickly uh, arranged for uh, this experimental therapy to go forward. Texas A&M had a little head start, and they got us their bacteriophage about 48 hours before the Navy did. Uh, and we began to give these bacteriophage into the abdominal abscess cavities through the drains that had been placed, uh, in Tom's case, earlier in his illness. There may have been a subtle change in his, in his uh, clinical status, but two days later the Navy phage became available and we then thought he was still extremely ill and, and if we were going to have an impact we needed to get the bacteriophage everywhere his organism, his acinetobacter was growing and felt the only way to do that was to give the bacteriophage intravenously. So when the Navy phage arrived, we continued the Texas A&M phage into the, into the abscess cavities and we began to use the Navy phage intravenously. Within about 48 hours, he woke up and turned to his daughter. When I first woke up, it isn't like is portrayed in the movies and on television. The uh, experience is a gradual awakening. The initial awakening is really confusion, and the confusion gradually goes away. I wasn't really aware of the phage therapy until I woke up, and, you know, because they had been giving it to me while I was near death. And so it's a therapy that has, was untried in this kind of a realm. When I started hearing about it, because phages really are, the way they find them is through sewage, and they purify it. And she said to me, Stephanie said to me, um, so how does it feel to have taken sewage into your system and it cured you? And I was like, uh, well, this is a little bit odd, but I was so happy to be alive at that point. And uh, the phage therapy has really been a miracle for me. Well, miracles don't just happen. Miracles are made. And here at UCSD's Thornton Hospital, if we didn't have the team of doctors and nurses and everybody who wanted to really take on a cutting edge, really risky new therapy, we would be sitting here and I would be holding an urn of my husband's ashes instead of holding his hand. So far we've heard from Chip, Tom and Stephanie talking about what happened from their time in Egypt through uh, Tom's stay at Thornton Hospital uh, and his last checkout in late August 2016. Now let's jump ahead. It's December 2016. It's been more than a year since Egypt and Tom is recovering. Things are looking better and Heather and I went and visited Stephanie and Tom at, this, at their house. Uh, they're both still on leave from their jobs at the university to catch up on where things are at now. 
Yeah, Tom is still far from being back to 100%, but I thought he looked amazing, all things considering. And I don't know about you, but I also found his and Stephanie's just sense of gratitude and general happiness with life to be quite infectious. But not bacterially. No, no, no. Well, first off, I think I should just kind of tell you a little bit about what happened when I got out of the hospital and came home. Initially, I was on a, I had a hospital bed here at home. I was using a, a wheelchair and, um, you know, I was still pretty sick. Now, one thing that I think is, is worth pointing out is, had there been phages available in the course of my illness when I first got ill, I wouldn't have been nearly as sick as it turned out I was. Physically, where I am right now is that, um, first, you have to understand, just to do something simple like go to the potty, I, it took two people to help me get up off of the pot just three months ago. And now I'm independent. I moved from wheelchair to walker to cane, now walking without a cane, and I'm able to, um, you know, down the hill from where we live, there's a lagoon that there's birds, and I like to bird watch, and I'm able to walk a few hundred yards. Now, at the, you're not going to confuse me with somebody that's not been ill. I shuffle like I'm 90 years old, and uh, but I'm getting more lively. It's it's getting better. I'm um, cooking a little bit, and uh, I still need a nap, which I may become addicted to. Mm. I've never been a napper, and now I'm starting to find that that's got some benefits. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, his progress has been really remarkable. I, I think uh, the physiotherapists, the occupational therapists, and the clinicians and nurses are pretty stunned. And I have to remind him that healing is a process, and it's a nonlinear process, and it's part of... Um, our recovery. But if, if uh, those phages had been here, I would have been out of the hospital in probably a month, and I wouldn't be going through what I am now. My life has changed dramatically, and it's changed my outlook on life. You hear this all the time from people who have gone through these major illnesses, but until you've actually experienced it, you can't really appreciate just how much, how deeply it affects you and how much more you appreciate life and how much I really enjoy being with my, my wife, Steph, and with my family and, and uh, trying to raise a little hell. <laughs> <laughs>
being able to be delivered to, to individuals like Tom. Um, so it, it, it really took a village. I am so happy for Tom and Stephanie and we wish them well and we'll definitely stay in touch. But what's next for phage therapy? I mean, how can other patients who have multi-drug resistant infections get access to this? Are there clinical trials being planned? Well, the first step, of course, is for Tom's case to be published in the scientific literature. That will kind of lay out what happened in his particular case and kind of give a blueprint for other researchers and doctors. You know, it's one case, n equals one, but everybody kind of concurs that his experience is, is certainly in bands phage therapy uh, at least five years, uh, and they've done something that had not been done before. But there are a lot of details to be worked out, and as others have noted, you know, this is personalized medicine at its utmost. Uh, patients still need to be determined on a case-by-case -case approval. Uh, the sources of phages have to be identified, and then these phage cocktails have to be concocted for each individual patient. So it's not clear when clinical trials would launch. There are some clinical trials here and there in Europe that are testing phages as a topical application to skin issues and, and the like, but that's not obviously not as dramatic as Tom's case. And one of the problems is you, you know, even though phages are abundant, you have to find good sources of phages. Phages evolved as bacteria evolved, so it's always a moving target. And so it's, and it's not really a patentable thing. So pharmaceutical companies at this point haven't expressed a lot of interest in it. And then there's the FDA uh, and the whole host of regulatory challenges. And here's Chip Schooley to explain. They're not simple to use. You have to develop a cocktail for each patient's own isolate. They seem to be relatively safe to give, uh, but uh, they're going to be difficult to develop from the, both the research perspective and also from the regulatory perspective because each patient's phage cocktail is a different cocktail. Uh, what the FDA is used to is saying, uh, this is an antibiotic, uh, we know what the structure is, and you're giving this antibiotic to multiple people. With bacteriophage therapy, they'll have to be dealing with a, an approach to develop phages for each person's cocktail, but each person will get a different uh, cocktail of phages tailored to their organism. So in a lot of ways, it's the ultimate personalized medicine uh, that will be, uh, I think, uh, the way this field has to go. And yet, Tom's case is a huge breakthrough for the phage field, and, and we really don't use that term lightly. Mm -hmm. And to, to say that it might mean that millions of people are cured from this in the future as it's brought to scale is really a privilege. There is one individual that we know of, a, a young child of two years old, who has now been given the phage therapy and he only agreed to it, or the family agreed to it, only after hearing my story. And it, I have to tell you, it brought tears to my eyes to think that what I went through might actually mean something to the future of this particular treatment. Yeah, I think that it's, it's really not, you can't emphasize enough how much we believe, and I believe, that phages really can change how we treat people in an economical way. So I see the third world 
and other places benefiting as much as we do. I mean, if this can be done cheaply and, and really low-tech way, we can save millions of lives. And so it's, I think, the future of medicine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Pages on demand. We're in. <laughs>